grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a recording of the Key Row Film Society. I am Pastor Neil Wemus. I am a pastor in Northwest Iowa. Today we are, it's been a couple weeks since I've recorded. Uh, the last podcast I did was the election reaction, and I don't totally love that I left that hanging as long as I have as the most recent podcast. Fortunately, if you happen to go onto the iTunes playlist, um, you'll have a few of my sermons, you know, that are more recent. But I really needed to get up something positive, but it's taken a little while. And the podcast I wanted to do as the follow-up is a John Hughes-themed podcast. Uh, John Hughes is a was a director who, uh, he passed away back in 2009, but is very much a great director of the 80s to the mid-90s. The movies that he made <coughs> were instrumental to so many of our childhoods, especially those of us who are uh, Generation X or the older millennials. Uh, so... Especially like me, if you know, according to I can't remember what the uh, website was, but they actually defined us as the um, as the Oregon Trail generation. And but either way, whatever you call yourself, all of us find a connection to John Hughes because of the movies that he's created. So here's you know here's some of the movies he's done: Mr. Mom. National Lampoon's Vacation, 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, uh, Weird Science, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, uh, The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck, Christmas Vacation, Home Alone, Only the Lonely, uh, Curly Sue, Beethoven, Home Alone 2, Dennis the Menace, Baby's Day Out, Miracle on 34th Street, the remake, 101 Dalmatians. I mean, this, that's, you know, made in Manhattan even. I mean, these are, you know, quite a list of movies that he did. And a lot of these are movies that if you're like me, you grew up watching them. You know, these were the movies that you watched over and over and over again, and you probably still watch them over and over again. John Hughes was an exceptional film writer. He was he created these characters that you could relate to so incredibly easy. They he never, you know, whenever he casted his um actors, his characters, he never casted the the big beautiful bombshell actor or actress. He usually picked, you know, kind of, I mean, there's a few exceptions to this rule, but a lot of times you had a lot of the average day person, average looking person. And the reason is, is to make you feel real. It made it easier to connect to them. You know, whether it be the Molly Ringwald films or the, you know, Macaulay Culkin in the Home Alone films. I watched the, those came out, when those came out, I was about seven years old when the first one came out. And the main character in Home Alone is, I think, eight or nine years old. And so I could very easily relate to it because I was right in that age range. You know, the struggles that he had with his older brother. I had struggles with my older brother um, just because that's what happens when you have brothers um, growing up. And, you know, I could very easily sympathize with him. With that character. And you get, as you get older, you see this in more and more of his films. And so, and he's, and the thing is, he, he's a great uh, comedic writer. And one of the things they love about his comedy was his comedy, in order to enjoy it, you didn't have to be a part of a certain group of people. You didn't have to be, you know, you know, number one, the biggest thing I liked was that you didn't have to be a liberal, and you don't have to be conservative to enjoy it. You just have to be a human being with ha with some level of empathy to enjoy his comedy, to enjoy his movies. And it's it's kind of a comedy comedy style that is sorely missing. Uh, I think that there are some 
actor, some writer, film writers out there that I think will be able to recover that style of writing. Um, the most recent one is the movie that just came out. It's called Edge of Seventeen. It came out back in November. Uh, it's already starting to move out of theaters. If you have not seen Edge of Seventeen, go to a theater and watch it. And I was telling you, go to a movie theater. No, no, don't go wait for it to come on DVD. Go to the movie theater. Because the thing is, it's because people don't go to these good quality movies that we don't get good movies. We keep getting bad, lazy writing. Why? Because nobody goes to the good ones. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Edge of Seventeen is a family-friendly movie. Neither is a lot of the John, some of the John Hughes movies. They're not family-friendly. Indeed. And they're not meant to be. Yes, many of them earn their R rating. But they, are, they have great stories. And for the, more, the mature audience... They're very enjoyable, and I encourage you, encourage you to go check out these movies. And Edge of Seventeen is one that's in theaters right now that I'd recommend going seeing. Um, like I said, it's got some content from a Christian standpoint that there's going to be will struggle with that isn't perfect, isn't ideal, which is a reality with a lot of our movies. If you were to go there with your teenage girl or teenage teenage son, teenage daughter, um, I would say you'd have you know. When you go home and get done, you might talk to them about, you know, which commandments were a concern here. But be, get past that and see in it the, day, the everyday struggles of a teenager. And that's what it is. That's what he's so good at. And he does that with his adult movies as well. I mean, his adult characters. So today what we're going to do is we're not going to focus on all of John Hughes' movies. John Hughes, like I said, he has a very large catalog, and I cannot focus on the entire catalog in one podcast. That's not justice to several great movies. And so, today I'm just going, because it is December, and, you know, it's December 9th to be exact, and we're only a few weeks, you know, removed from Thanksgiving, I decided it would be good to focus on John Hughes' holiday movies because he has a certain well most of his his holiday most of his holiday movies i should say um there's one that's not definitely not coming into the um discussion but we're going to focus on his holiday movies he's got a few of them and so i'm going to review them and i'm going to bring in a common thread and so the holiday movies that he did is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is pretty much the only Thanksgiving Day movie that I can think of. There is then we're gonna also there's also the two Home Alone there's actually three Home Alone movies but only two of them I believe are around Christmas time and I don't really care about the third one so uh, but uh, the second you know Home Alone one and two. Uh, those are Christmas movies. And then there's also Miracle on 34th Street, which is a remake. I will look at that. Christmas Vacation is also a Christmas movie, obviously. But I'm going to leave that one for another time. Probably won't cover that until probably next Christmas. Because I do have a, a Christmas theme for the next podcast. Hopefully i get it out before December 25th. Uh, but it's I'll talk about that theme a little bit later. So until then, so these are the movies that we're going to look at Planes, Trains, and Automobiles and the two Home Alone movies. And on a lesser degree, we will look at the Miracle on 34th Street remake. So let's start with Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And to start with that, I'm going to play the trailer for the movie. During holiday travel, some people get delirious. Some get Del Griffin, American Light and Fixture, Director of Sales, Shower Curtain Ring Division. Neil Page got all three. I was on my way home to spend a nice holiday with my family. Instead, I'm in a motel bed with a stranger. So instead of Thanksgiving with his family, he's spending three days with the turkey. Three, four, 
just whistling down the road. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones, Paramount Pictures presents Steve Martin. You ever been to Hawaii? Yeah. You see Don Ho while you were there? See the second show, that's the best one. Is that right? Yeah. John Candy. Why are you holding my hand? Where's your other hand? Between two pillows. Those aren't pillows. In a new film by John Hughes. Plane, trains, and automobiles. See that Bears game last week? Yeah, hell of a game, hell of a game. Alright, so that was the uh, trailer for the movie uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. One of the funniest movies that I have ever seen in my life. Uh, two great legendary comedic actors of film, Steve Martin, John Candy. Uh, and as I said, John Hughes is the writer, which, you know, again, one of the great writers of all time. And the movie is just filled, it's just chock full of of, you know, great memorable scenes. You heard one in the trailer where he goes, you know, Dale, what? says, why are you, uh, why are you, why did you just kiss my cheek? Uh, where are your, where's your hand? Why are you holding my hand? Where's your other hand? Between two pillows? Those are pillows! And so, you know, that, you know, famous, you know, hilarious scene, the scene with the, you know, driving between the two semis, and, you know, there's a lot of great moments in this movie. There is some harsh, there's some pretty strong swearing in it, especially uh, when he just hits rock bottom, and he just curses out this uh, uh, car, car rental attendant, and, which, you know, Steve Martin, as you see throughout the movie, as he is in other movies, he's really good at playing a jerk, and you see this throughout the movie. And it is, again, one of those examples of what John Hughes is so good at. So you've got these two people. You have Steve Martin, who's basically, he's the straight man, and you got John Candy. And, you know, Steve Martin, he's, you know, he's this guy that's been working, he's got a a good job, he seems to be very well off financially, and he's trying to get home for Thanksgiving, and he gets stuck with this guy who just talks and talks and talks, and he does all, he has all these obnoxious little habits that drive Steve Martin nuts. And it create, you know, so it gives you, it's the, the classic odd couple type story. And these two people are just thrown together. The difference between them and the odd, odd couple is the odd couple, they were at least friends beforehand. Here, they were, you know, they just met. On, they just met at the very beginning. And the way they're actually introduced was that John Candy stole the taxi from Steve Martin. and Or Steve Martin's character. And... And so that's, you know, how everything's set up. And there's, like I said, a lot of great moments in the movie. But one of the things is, like I said, the thing that makes this movie so good is not just that it is hilarious. It, and it is. It's a very funny movie. And it's even got a pretty decent soundtrack, in my opinion. But, I mean, score, musical score. But the thing that makes the movie truly great is the characters especially you know john candy's characters so um del griffith is his name del griffith del is this you know he's a little tough to handle and he gives these really weird anecdotes and some of them are hilarious like you know that little uh you know you're as you're as likely to find you're more likely to find a three-egged ballerina than find a, an airplane. Or, we have more like playing pickup sticks with our butt cheeks than uh, finding a hotel. You know, things like that. And, you know, you have those little moments that makes, he's doing a good job of being noxious. But, he, you also realize, you can see it, that people like him. 
You see it, you know, with the cab driver. The cab driver somehow knows him. And he's very friendly to this cab driver. The guy at the hotel that they first they stay at the first night, you know, he has a he connects with him. He <clears throat> um you know, he connects with that that guy as well. And you see this throughout the movie, him connecting with these people in his past. You see he's a likable guy. But Steve Martin is frustrated by all the things that have gone on in the last two days. And he can't see it. You know, John Dell, you know, Steve Martin's character is Neil Page. So Neil looking at Dell, you know, Dell just happened to be thrown in Neil's life when he was at the greatest stress, the most frustrated. And so he just takes it out on Dell a lot. And the, the character of Dell is hard to handle in that stress moments. But the thing I like is that in the, the movie slowly unravels the pages to let you know who Dell is, what kind of a person he is, and his story. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, this movie's, you know, this movie came out in the 80s. I am not afraid to give some spoilers, all right? If you've never seen this movie, I'm going to advise that you not listen to this, this review. Fast forward to my Home Alone conversation, all right? Home Alone does not have any major spoilers. Uh, but I would say that Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, if you've not seen it before, does have a little bit of a surprise at the end of the movie. And that surprise, so warning, spoiler if you've never seen this movie, came out in 1987, so I'm not ashamed to give away a spoiler. That's almost 30 years ago. <clears throat> but the surprise is, you know, they talk so much throughout the movie about their wives. You know, Steve Martin so badly wants to get to his wife and his kids for Thanksgiving. Dell is talking about how much he loves his wife. And I didn't <clears throat> realize that he too watched it again. He doesn't really talk about how he needs to get to his wife. He needs to get to Chicago. But he never says he needs to get to his wife. And the reason, and you find it out at the end of the movie, is that his wife is dead. And he's homeless. And this trunk that has been an inconvenience to Steve Martin's character throughout the movie, to Neil throughout the movie, that's his home. Everything he owns is in that trunk. <clears throat> and so the story becomes so incredibly human. And it's I think it's especially a good movie at Thanksgiving. That when we're frustrated by people and we can't stand someone, it's a reminder for us to stop and cool down be patient because we don't know what's going on with a person. You just never know what is going on inside. A person may look like they have it together, that they're all right, but in reality, they're falling to pieces. And that's what you have, and this is. I mean, you ha and it's, I think it's such a beautiful story because you have Neil Page who has a wife. He has kids. But he's been spending large amounts of time in New York for work, for business. Spending a lot of time on the road away from his family. Letting you know that he has been taking his family for granted. The fact that he almost did not get home to Thanksgiving is because he was taking his family for granted. If it weren't for the, the way he was living his life, the situation would have never happened. But 
but it just happened. The when this all happened. He's given almost like a ghost of Christmas present in John Candy. In Del Griffith, I mean. And here, you know, he's been taking this for granted, not spending time with his wife. And all along, and he's been beating up on this guy throughout the movie on many ways, treating him horribly over and over again. Not realizing that this guy is trying very hard to get him home for Thanksgiving, to be with his family and his kids. He's trying really hard to help his marriage. All the while, this man has no one. None at all. And you actually think about that story and it actually makes it, even just speaking about that, it actually makes the movie even more emotional than it already is. When you realize what Del Griffith is doing. I challenge you, if you have seen this movie, and if you're listening at this point, you've already skipped Daddle past the spoiler. And so, either you ha- you want you don't care if you hear a spoiler, or you have seen it. If you have seen it, I want you after I've gotten done talking about this podcast, I encourage you to go back and rewatch it with some of the stuff on mind, and I think it's going to make the movie even more powerful than it already is. I mean, it's it. And that is, and it's hitting right at why I believe John Hughes is one of the greatest and most underrated screenwriters of all time. Nobody ever talks about him as one of the all-time greats. I never hear him come up in conversations. And he should. Because of movies like this. And... Watch The Breakfast Club for another example of his incredible writing. And, but Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, he goes, I mean, yes, there's a little bit of cheesiness to it, especially at the end of the movie. It's definitely cheesy. And that's okay. I don't, I'm one of those people that doesn't get upset over cheesiness. I think sometimes movies need to be cheesy, they need to have that hallmark happy moment because we need those we live in a world with so much brokenness so much pain so much heartache why do we insist that every movie carry that as well i'm okay with a movie being very cheesy in order to give a good feel good emotion because we need those we need those moments. We need those thoughts. Even if they're unreal. Because it helps us get through a world that is devoid of those moments. That those moments are few and far in between. So the movie, you know, takes place during Thanksgiving. And so it's it doesn't explicitly go into the thanks, thankfulness theme, but it's there. It's teaching you to be thankful for what you have. Because there are people that would love to have what you have. I mean, if you want to talk in terms of commandments, this is the ninth and tenth commandment. The opposite of it, the cure to, you know, the ninth and tenth commandment is you shall not covet your name, you covet. You know, those are the coveting commandments. And the cure to coveting is contentment. Being content with what you have in your life. And that's what that movie is calling you to do. Be content, thankful. For not only what, but who is in your life. I can sit here and tell you right now, I am... See, I'm a pastor, and sometimes the idea is, oh, you're the pastor, you must have a nice wife and kids or whatever. 
but I'm not. I'm single. Probably one of the reasons I'm able to do this podcast every now and then is because I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. And I will admit, sometimes it is hard to be alone, even on, actually on a night, even like tonight. You know, it's Chris, this, the Christmas season is getting, is revving up. And probably doesn't help that I, I watch some of these Christmas movies that are all about these beautiful romances. And as the season progresses, the loneliness gets harder. It builds. And there are many people in this world that are in that same page. I mean, being a pastor, it does help. Because I do have the church, and because I have three churches, I'm pretty busy. And that's able to occupy my mind quite a bit. And I really haven't felt any of the loneliness feeling for quite a while. But today, I don't know why, tonight it just kind of hit for the first time and. Uh, quite a while, probably in a few, it's been a few months probably, since I've had that that feeling, and I was for I was in that feeling I was I'm just content being single I don't need anybody, and all of a sudden it just started to hit, and so, but there's people that, I mean there's different kinds of loneliness there's the people like me, who'd like to find somebody but just has no, clue at all where to look is completely lost and helpless in that regard. But then you have the people like John King, like Del Griffith. There are widows. There are many who have lost their husband or wife and and it's not easy. So like I said it's a good movie and I got I got a little bit more to get to on it, but I'm gonna come back to it. There's another theme I want to pick on which I think is a, th- a thread throughout the John Hughes movies, specifically these holiday movies I'm spo- that I'm focusing on. And I should note when I say holiday, holiday is not a way of denying Merry Christmas. Don't get upset about people saying Happy Holidays. Hap- holiday literally means Holy Day. All right. So when you say ho- Happy Holidays, it's a way of encompassing Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, all into a single greeting. And it's acknowledging that all three of those days are holy days, which makes sense because Thanksgiving is a day for prayer. Granted, it was instituted by the federal government. Why not take an opportunity to prayer? That's always good. There's Christmas, obviously about the birth of Jesus. And New Year's, we actually celebrate the circumcision and naming of Jesus. So all three of them are indeed holy days. So happy holidays is perfectly acceptable. But anyways, these happy these holiday films that John Hughes have a thread that I'm going to come to in a little bit. But before I get to that, we're going to go on to our next movie. And we're going to actually take two movies at one shot. And that is the Home Alone franchise. Specifically, the first and second movie. So, um, with that, we're gonna I'm gonna play just the trailer for the first Home Alone movie. So, here. Really hate me. Then maybe you should ask Santa for a new family. I don't want a new family. I don't want any family. You what the French call les incompetents. What? I will let you sleep in my room if you grow on my ass. Yes, we have to leave tomorrow morning. Your mom. My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What do you mean? 
Oh, I can tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. You know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus. Then it's out. Open the door. Ah! It cost me everything I own. If I have to sell my soul to the devil himself, I am going to get home to myself. All right, so that was not actually the official trailer. That was a trailer that somebody put up on Facebook. Not Facebook, but on YouTube. Uh, but it gave you a pretty good idea of the film. Uh, Home Alone is a movie that's a little sentimental to me because of the fact that uh, I saw it first with my mom. and this is So this movie came out in 1990. And so I was eight years old. It was in 1990 that we first moved to Ankeny from Moorhead, Minnesota. So you're going to get a little bit of my biography here. So we moved from there. And so my mom, my mom and my dad were divorced. And so my dad, you know, we lived with my dad and we moved to Ankeny. And so 1990, Christmas of 1990, when Home Alone came out, that was my first Christmas in Ankeny. That was my first Christmas living in a state different than my mother. And for that reason, and so Home Alone, and Home Alone was the first Christmas movie I really remember watching after that move. And I remember watching it with my mom. And the thing is, is in the, and so this movie created a great sentimentality to me. And because I, I really did. I missed my mom when we moved. And, and it, was, it was very difficult for me. I was in second grade. I was, I was eight years old. I was the age of Kevin when that movie came out. And I know you're just saying, wait a minute, did you say you were seven? Yeah, I know. I had to double check. It. My information, my wires got crossed here. And so, but... Like I said, I was eight. I was about pretty close to the same age. I might have been a year younger, or so, but it was very close in age to Kevin McAllister, the main character of Home Alone. And the movie was funny. It was entertaining. It was a great movie. It's got you know, uh, John Williams play as a an excellent score, uh, and which is pretty. Anytime John Williams is the composer for a film, you could probably guarantee. I'm going to say. Excellent score by John Williams. You could just chime that in. I could probably record just John Williams put an excellent score, just paste it in into every single movie review that I ever do involving John Williams. But it's true. He made a really good soundtrack, a great Christmas soundtrack. I mean, there's music in this movie that I now listen to every year at Christmas. Um, you know, like Somewhere in My Memory or is in uh, Home Alone 2... Um, the song is, it's like, oh, something like, like the Christmas Star. That's what it's, Christmas Star, which is another beautiful piece that John Williams composed for that movie. And, you know, <clears throat> like I said, it's a very, so from that standpoint, great film, great, um, great stuff. But again, the movie is entertaining. It's funny. Uh, but the, again, like John Hughes does, like he did with Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, I'm talking about so great, funny moments, great characters. Same thing with Home Alone, great characters. Um, you know, uh, Joe Pesci and, uh, uh, and yeah, so Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, two were very, very funny in their roles in this movie. Uh, and actually, you know, like Catherine O'Hara, who plays, um, you know, Macaulay Culkin's, or Kevin McAllister's, uh, mother, again, a very, she did a very good performance. Uh, they made great use of the city of Chicago, uh, you know, beautiful area of Chicago. It's just a very good, very well done movie. But like I said, like John Hughes does, he gives humanity. He makes you care about these characters. 
I mean, so when they realize that they they've lost, she's lost her son. This movie actually is not about a boy that was home alone. It's not really what the movie's about. The movie is about the relationship between a son and daughter, or son and mother, a son and her is mo his mother, which is why this movie hit so hard for me. Was because this is the first time. This was the point in my life where I was living in Ankeny. My mom was up in Minnesota, seven hour, seven and a half hour drive away. And so this is a movie about a son and mother, a mother and son. At a time when I was, I was, there was, it was tough as I was separated from my own mother for obviously different reasons. And so that's the reason that movie really hit for me. And it's interesting watching back on this movie and watching the story unfold it's really amazing the things that you see that Kate, uh, McCul I mean, uh, Kevin Callister's mother, what she's willing to do. I mean, it's very telling was a scene in the movie where she's trying to get tickets to get to Milwaukee. Not to Chicago, but to Milwaukee. Just to get close to Chicago. Maybe she gets to Milwaukee. Maybe she could get a bus. Whatever. To get to her son. And... <clears throat> you see how passionate she gets. and She's like, I don't care what I have to do. If I have to sell my soul to the devil himself, I'm going to get to my son. There's a scene where she's at this gate. And like I said, she's trying to make this exchange. And they got coach seats. And she's willing to trade two tickets. Two first-class tickets. Very nice seats. For one couch, coach ticket. And she's going to give $500. And she's going to give her ear, these really expensive earrings. An expensive wristwatch. Giving you know, incredible amounts of her possession. Everything that she could find on her other than her clothes itself. To get on that plane. I mean what she is willing to do. To get to her son. Is... It's a very powerful image of the love of a mother for her child. And there's a lot of movies that play into that. And as a Christian, by the way, this is something that's actually got some really awesome Christian imagery. Because, okay, I'm going to bring up a passage here. So I have two passages I'm going to read from you. For you first, this one's from Philippians two verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. But notice that he says he, but that he, he who was in the, in the form was very nature God, emptied himself made himself nothing now this come, this leads to the next passage i'm going to have to uh, pull it up this is second corinthians so yes yeah, so second corinthians chapter 5 it says this from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to itself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now here is the key verse. For our sake, he, God, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So why did Jesus empty himself? See, in being emptying himself, he, it was God making him, Jesus, what, became, Jesus who knew no sin, became sin. For our sake, that we might become the righteousness of God. See, we are born at nature at odds with God, sinful, corrupt enemies of God. And yet, again, taking another passage of Paul, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, while we were still sinners, emptied himself, made himself obedient, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He who was without sin, who knew no sin, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what the extent that our Lord went to save you, to redeem you, to make you his child. Again, let's jump to another one. Um, Galatians chapter 4. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Again, filling out more of what has been said. See, in the Home Alone film, in the first movie, you see this mother doing anything and everything to get to her son. And think about this. Her son, if you see the movie, her son doesn't deserve it. Her son was pretty rotten. The reason he's home alone is because he was sent up to, his, up to the, the attic, to the third floor or whatever, because he was being obnoxious, he was being a problem, he was being bratty, and he's been a problem. And in spite of that, she wants to get to him. Not because her son is a noble son because he's a great boy, no, she had to get to him for one reason. She, I mean, he is her son. That's it. He was born of her womb. He had to get to her. He had, she had to get to him. She had to get to her son. So it is with our Lord. He had to redeem us. He had to enter to this world. Not because there's anything special about us. We don't deserve him emptying himself. We don't deserve anything that he did. But he did it. Because we are his creation. And on account of who created us, on account of the fact that we are created by God, he desires for all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And for that reason, it's for that that he died on the cross, for the sin of the entire world. Now there's more coming out of this movie. I'm going to get to, now I'm going to deal just slightly with Home Alone 2. 
Home Alone 2 was definitely a major drop-off in terms of quality um, from, the third, from the first film. Uh, the whole, you know, all, all the stuff with the robbers, with, you know, uh, Joe Pesci and... Uh, I already forgot the names of the other character again. Uh, what's his name? Try. I'm sorry for the pause. I'm quickly googling this. Daniel Stern. So, the you know Marv and Harry, even the the everything involving them with them is very violent, uh, and a lot of it you're like, man, there's no way they could survive it. In the first movie, you could kind of maybe rationalize them surviving some of that stuff. But in the second movie, it doesn't work. They just went way overboard with a lot of it. Uh, it definitely was not as good as the first movie. I mean, I did like how they showcased New York City. And, you know, there's some night. There are good things in it. And it's still worth watching. But it's uh, definitely uh, not as good as the first movie. And, but I wanted to bring in the second movie... And I'm also going to rope in a little bit of Miracle on 34th Street, uh, John Hughes' version. And the reason is is because there's two theme, there's two common themes that I see in all four of those movies. First off is that all four of those movies have a character. In some cases it's a major character, sometimes it isn't. They have a character that seems odd, or whatever, there's something about them that people decide to judge on them and decide that they're not to be valued, they're supposed to be deemed crazy, people are not to associate with them. But in the end, you find out that there's more to meets the eye with the movie. In, the, in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, it's Del Griffith. In, uh, in the first Home Alone movie, it's the guy with the shovel. Uh, the... For second Home Alone movie, there is the lady in the park with all the birds, and then of and then America on Thirty Fourth Street, it's a uh, Chris Chris Kringle, the guy that's on trial for claiming to be Santa Claus. So there's that common thread, and I do like it. It's it is a good thread. It's something that's just you know worth um, learning. And you know it actually connects with that verse as just reading from Second Corinthians. You know, that don't look on people on the eyes of the world. Look through with the Spirit's eyes. Do not judge people the way the world does. You know, there's people with people in this world, they are more than meets the eye. And we need to learn to listen, look at people, listen to people, and love a person and express love even when the world thinks that they shouldn't be loved and cared about. And the reason is, is because that's what Jesus did for us. And so that's one thread. The other thread that I can't help but notice is that there is definitely a religious theme. There seems to be a religious thread in all of these movies. In... Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. The turning point for, for Neil, um, Neil Page, um, Steve Martin's character. It happens when they're in this, they're in the hotel. And it's the second hotel. After the car is caught on fire and everything. And it seems like they are split and it's absolutely beyond repair. Del Griffith is sitting in the car in the snow, freezing. He can't afford a hotel because of the events that have happened in the few days. And this is actually, again, an example of someone emptying himself, of somebody emptying themselves for someone who doesn't deserve it. Neil Page does not deserve any of the kindness that Del Griffith has given. I mean, yeah, Neil Page is paying money and doing all these things. He's doing that not to help Dell. He's doing it for himself. And, but in the movie, you see it, that Dell loses 
everything. He loses his money. He loses his credit cards, the car that he's in. He is, he empties himself. He becomes, I mean, the man that's already homeless ends up in almost a worse state in order to get Neil Page to his family. And, and, this, and so the night before they get to Chicago, it hits rock bottom. There's Neil in this hotel. And he too hit rock bottom to get to his kids. But there he is in his hotel. And nearby, and then out in the car, is Dell. And Dell's having this conversation. He says, I've done it again. He seems he's having a conversation with his wife, an imaginary one. And you think that he's doing this because you don't know yet that his wife is dead. So you assume that he's just mentally thinking about her. But if you go back on it, you watch it knowing that she's dead. Is after he had, the minute he finishes with this conversation, where he says, well, I guess that's not going to happen yet. You know, that he would be with her. It was then, all the, you look in, they show, the camera shows Neil Page all of a sudden wake up. Like he had an epiphany moment. And he goes to the window and he just stands there. And he says, it's like he's talking to God. And he says, you know, why did you put, why is this guy? Why is this guy in my life? And then he welcomes Dell back in. And it's such a subtle scene that I am I cannot help but think that John Hughes was playing that that was some type of a spirit moment. Something spiritual happened in that moment. It's not explicit. It's not written in the script. But I think it's suggested. Just the nature of the way that the sequence of the scene happened. Then you had Home Alone 1, the first Home Alone movie. The first Home Alone movie has a very significant, prominent scene in a church. And that church actually is in the background in a lot of scenes. That church plays a prominent role in the film. And you have this night where everything, he's realized that he, you know, he was happy at first that his parents were gone. He was, he was not resentful at all. But eventually he hit a point where he knew he needed them. And that's what drew him to church. For prayer or whatever it was. And like I said, that church plays a prominent role in the movie. In fact, the first time he runs from the thieves, from the robbers, you know, Marvin Harry, he finds refuge in a manger scene right in front of that church. Home Alone 2 you also have another scene. You have also this uh, prominent feature of, of a Catholic uh, home. And again, you have a little... It's not as much so as it was in the first movie, but there is, again, a little bit of a playing in a religious place. And then it's in uh, Miracle on 34th Street that really stands out. Because Miracle on 34th Street is a remake. And one of the themes that gets put into it is a, th is a religious theme. And it almost seems as if John Hughes is defending a f belief in God in the movie. Which is unique because, is of note, because in the original movie, this does not happen at all. It's nowhere in the story. John Hughes added it. So we have four movies that has some, you know, religious undertones in it. And so, I mean, I'm not going to say that John Hughes' movies are all, you know, super Christian movies, but I, pretty, I, have, I would not be shy to say that his Roman Catholicism came through in his movies, especially in those four that I've mentioned. Um, in his earlier movies, especially the Molly Ringwald movies, you definitely didn't get that. 
But in these holiday-themed movies, it's def- I definitely think it's there. He's definitely carrying that theme throughout. Um, and so he, I think he was a man of faith, and I think it came out. And, and the simple idea that God is working in our lives regularly, that and there's kind of a bit of a mysticism, which, you know, from a Lutheran standpoint, we wouldn't get behind. But still, this idea that God is at work and that he puts people in our lives for a reason. And he puts people in our lives that may seem strange and may seem odd. Because maybe that person needs love to feel loved. And he puts them in our lives, whether it be in the life of a child or a full-grown adult, that we may be the beacon of hope for that person, that we may be the person that gives the love that that person so desperately needs. And I think that's a very admirable theme in the film, in these films. So, that's what I have for the John Hughes movies. That's what I have for Home Alone, uh, the Home Alone movies, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I'm not going to review... Miracle on 34th Street. Um, I, not a significant enough movie for me to do so, I don't think. But I did want to bring it, rope it in to connect this theme. And like I said, I encourage you, go watch some John Hughes movies. He's got some great movies. And go watch Edge of Seventeen, which is very much of the John Hughes tradition. And I believe the writer of the film has expressed their admiration for John Hughes, their influence... So, with that, uh, I pray this show was good for you and it was a blessing to you. It's Hopefully it's a nice and positive thinking sh- podcast after a nice follow-up to my very heavily political one. Uh, next week, I'm going to do a podcast on movies that happen to take place at Christmas. So they're not explicitly Christ- Christmas movies like, say, Elf or... Christmas Vacation or something like that. But they're movies that happen to take place during Christmas time. And so um, that's what we're going to focus on is a couple of those movies. And so with that, I'm going to conclude with two things. I'm going to conclude with um, some music from uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. But before that, I'm going to play the tribute The tribute to John Hughes from the Oscars in 2010. It's a, it's a six-minute one, and so like I said, this is from the Oscars. Uh, it's got, and it starts out with Matthew, Matthew Broderick and uh, Molly Ringwald. So here it goes. In life, there is always that special person who shapes who you are, who helps you determine the person you become. For me, that person was John Hughes. A brilliant writer, director, and friend who saw something in me at the age of 16 that I didn't even see in myself. But John saw something in all of us. His genius was taking the pain of growing up and relating it to everyone. His gift was creating characters, stories, and truths about being a teen and bringing them to film in a way that no one had ever done before. It is why his influence endures. As an actor, I just listened to John and I did whatever he told me. And thanks to him, For the last 25 years, nearly every day, someone comes up to me, taps me on the shoulder, and says, Hey, Ferris, is this your day off? (laughs) To me, to me, John was a friend and a mentor, a private man, a family man, and in his own quiet way, one of the funniest human beings I've ever met. Bueller. Bueller. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? What is so dangerous about a character like Ferris Bueller is he gives good kids bad ideas. Last night at the dance, my little brother paid a buck to see her underwear. Where's your other hand? Between two pillows. 
Those aren't pillows. I base a lot of uh, a lot of my material in my pictures on my life, my my childhood. This is my house. I have to defend it. so important for you to belong to something at that age as you're trying to identify yourself who am i what where do i fit how do i belong in all this that pressure to belong is so enormous <laughs> are those boys underpants oh, yeah so i i hate feeling ashamed i hate where i'm from you listen to me. I don't want you to take me home. Okay, why? Because I don't want you to see where I live, okay? Oh, you're only 18 years old. Then I'm 19, then I'm 20. When does my life belong to me? You want to get married? <laughs> I'm not getting married. Give me one good reason. Why not? I'll give you two good reasons why not. My mother and my father. My God, are we going to be like our parents? Not me. It's unavoidable just happens what happens when you grow up your heart dies who cares I care do you think I'm gonna be happy I mean honestly maybe it'll work out who knows <laughs> yeah you'll be happy <laughs> you just won't know it that's all say it again life moves pretty fast you don't stop and look around once in a while you could miss it ladies and gentlemen john Pryor, anthony michael hall judd nelson ali sheedy and macaulay culkin created characters that were at once familiar, uh, almost painfully ordinary, but at the same time transcendent and iconic. John gave us all the gift of laughter and understanding. He had a gift for treating young people, not as children, but as developing adults. When you get older, your heart dies. Ironic words written by modern-day Peter Pan, a man who refused to get older. John always treated me with dignity even the tiny nine-year-old version of myself, because that's what he did. He treated people with respect. With us tonight in our audience are members of John's family, his wife Nancy, John III, James, Tracy, and Ruta. Thank you for coming, and John, don't shame. So that was a very touching tribute of John Hughes. So I, again, I pray this is a blessing to you. This I am Pastor Neela Wemus. Uh, this is a recording of the Key Row Film Society. Um, if you'd like to check out the churches that I serve at, um, there you can find out about them at www.iowaoc. Lutherends.org. Um, if you do not live in the area, I encourage you to find a good church. Uh, you could find some of those on issues, etc. www.issuesetc.org or www.lutheranliturgy.org or 
www.lcms.org. All three of those sites, you'll find a, a find a church tab where you can find a church in your area. Uh, so with that, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you.